Hi, I'm Amber, and welcome to the Lone Star Keto Podcast. Today, I have a returning guest, Dr. Barb Woger. I have had her on before where we talk about everything magnesium. She is a neuropathic doctor, and she'll give a little bit of her background in a minute, but I really wanted her to come back on and do a Q&A with me about magnesium because I get so many questions from my followers. So welcome, Barb. Thank you so much. It's so good to be back. And yeah, I love asking or answering people's questions and, you know, getting more information out there on this amazing mineral. She really does, y'all. She is the best. So (laughs) I'm going to put all of her information below and be sure to follow her because she has amazing information. It's not just all magnesium. It's a lot about magnesium and you will see how important magnesium really is. But anyway, follow her. And while you're here, subscribe to my channel please. I could use some, (laughs) some more followers and be sure to go follow Dr. Barb. I will have everything below. So no worries. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go down the questions that I got from followers and Barb is going to answer them for us. So this is a little bit of a different format than normal. Okay. So you ready, Barb? Absolutely. Okay. First of all, give us a little bit of background on you. Um, she's already, you know, gone over the whole gamut in, in the other podcast, but just real briefly. And yep. why do you have such a passion for magnesium? Absolutely. So as you said, I'm a naturopathic doctor. I am based in Toronto, Ontario. So my clinical focus is in hormone stress and inflammatory diseases and Um, really my background doesn't have much health history personally, but, um, magnesium has become such a big player in my practice because most times people come to us as a last resort. So they've gone to their conventional doctor, they've gone to, you know, all the allopathic means. And when they end up in my office, most times they've been told, well, you just have to live with it. Or, you know, we don't really know what's going on. We can just, you know, kind of monitor it and see. And so I really have to dig deep and I have to look at, you know, all sorts of things. And so what has happened is when these people are coming in, I'm doing this research, I couldn't believe how many times it led me back to magnesium in the research. And so through all that research and through all these patients, I have used magnesium, I don't know, hundreds of times and seen um, amazing results. And when we look at it, there's over 12,000 publications of magnesium on PubMed alone. So there is a lot of research out there and it's just my mission to create awareness and get this information out there and just let people know how important this mineral is to our health. And you're doing a fabulous job. I love it. (laughs) Thank you. And I'll tell you what, my followers really like those posts. So keep those going. Great. All right. So here we go. First of all, let's talk a little bit about the importance of magnesium. You kind of mentioned some things, but how many functions in the body does it really have? Yeah. So we have to remember that magnesium is an essential mineral. So that means that we need it. It's, um, it does, our body does not make magnesium. So we have to get it from outside sources. Now those outside sources could include food supplements. We could have some transdermal, um, applications, but our body, it's the fourth most abundant mineral in our bodies. And so, um, 
if we look at the most latest research, it's involved in about seven to 800 enzymatic reactions in the body, which means that it's got its hands in most processes that happen in the body. And where we find it in most concentrations is in the bones, our heart, our muscles, and our nerves. And so it's basically involved in keeping us alive. We can't live without it. And yet most of us are deficient and we don't even know it. <laughs> That's wow. the crazy part. Yeah. Yeah. That is so crazy. And thanks to you. I, now I understand that I had no clue. I had no yeah. clue. And that honestly is the only supplement I take now. The yeah. only one. Yeah. And most times that's all that people really have to take. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So what form of magnesium should one take to balance your hormones? Is there a particular form? Yeah. So when we want to support healthy hormone response, we have to look at what magnesium actually does. So it helps to manufacture all of our steroid hormones. So progesterone, estrogen, testosterone. Um, it also helps to normalize the action of progesterone um, on our central nervous system. So when we look at what it actually is doing for hormone balance, um, that tells us what form we want to be looking at. So we really mm. want to look at this glycinate for hormone balance. Um, it's a nice all around general form. It's got that calming effect. So the nervous system is supported. Um, if we really want to look deeper than that, and we have we also have to know that magnesium is involved in estrogen clearance. And so if we're looking at estrogen clearance just from metabolizing estrogen, we want to look at this glycinate but we also clear out our estrogen through bowel movements. So if you are constipated, you are not clearing out your estrogen. And so here I would probably use something like citrate um, to allow that body to clear that estrogen in the bowel movement, because if we're not, we're just reabsorbing our hormones back into the bloodstream. So wow. yeah. that's interesting. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Ooh, and to think all the years I spent constipated before I went on carnivore. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is the most common question I get. How much magnesium am I supposed to take? And that's, uh, there's very various amounts of answers there. But what I can say is the RDA amount, which is the minimum amount that we should be getting is 310 to 400 milligrams of magnesium per day. Now, obviously that includes our foods and supplements and whatever else we're taking, whether we're having Epsom salt bath or transdermal. But here's where it's really important to work with someone because you may need less than that, or you may need way more than that. And it really depends upon what it is you're trying to do, what it is you're trying to solve. And you've got to also make sure you're right, taking the right form. And so a lot of individuals will come in and, you know, oh, I've tried magnesium and it didn't work. And, you know, I'll say, okay, so what did we try? And when I look at it, I understand why it didn't work. So it's really, really important, but that is like the RDA amount is the amount that I usually will give out and start with. And then of course, depending upon what's going on, we, we change. And what exactly is that? The RDA, you mean? Mm -hmm. That's the um, recommended daily amount that the government kind of puts out to say, you should have at least this amount of 
this supplement or this vitamin or this mineral or whatever. So it's basically the minimum amount you want to be taking in order to prevent deficiency. And what is the, the actual amount? Like what would you typically find on a, a bottle of magnesium supplements, for instance? Um, they range anywhere from 150 to 200. And then when you get into the complexes, they can be somewhere around four or 500. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, and, and where, where do you start your patients normally? I usually, well, again, it depends what exactly we're dealing with, but some patients, I, I will start them at 600, some at 800. It just really depends on that individual. And we sometimes do some testing to see where they're at because, you know, we may not have, we may need that information to actually see if we're actually therapeutically dosing accurately. Um, but I would say probably six to 800, but then if you get someone really sensitive, you gotta start small and low and then work your way up. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So it may be a good idea to kind of take a maybe take the dosage on the bottle and then kind of go from there. Yeah. Would you suggest doing that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Let's see. When is the best time to take magnesium? I get asked that a lot. <laughs> I, I get that question a lot too. Um, there really is no best time to take it unless you're taking it for sleep obviously you're going to take it about a half an hour before bed. Um, but really there is no best time. It, you can take it in the morning. You can take it during the day. I often do like to dose during the day because I like to get that benefit happening throughout the day, especially if I'm dealing with stress or nervous system stuff or things like that. Um, obviously, like I said, for sleep, we would dose before bed. Um, and then of course, it's very dependent on the individual. If that individual can't handle um, magnesium first thing in the morning, especially like if they're not having a full breakfast, then obviously we would not be dosing in the morning. We would move that dosing more towards midday kind of thing. So, so, so you think that it's better to take magnesium with food for most people or? Um, they, in some of the studies, the studies show better results on an empty stomach, mm. especially if you're taking it for, for things like constipation. So you would take mm. it at night before bed on an empty stomach. However, some people cannot do that. It's just one of the issues is um, gastrointestinal discomfort. Um, and so we can't sometimes do that based upon that individual. And thus we have to give it with food. So it really becomes dependent upon how much and how well they take it. Yeah. Yeah. I normally take one in the morning on an empty stomach because I don't eat breakfast. And then I take my other one before I go to bed. That's what right. I generally do, but I'm, I'm doing an experiment with the CGM. And so I didn't want the whole morning thing to maybe be skewed. I don't know if it would or not. And right. so I decided, and I'm also taking some liver supplements right now just to try it out because I had some sent to me and I wanted to kind of see if, if I notice anything. And so I didn't want that to skew it. So I've been taking those during right before my lunch, but that's not normally what I do. I, I like to take it in the morning personally yeah. and at night. And I do actually think it helps a lot with my sleep. I really do. Yeah. I think that has made a huge difference. That's one thing I will say. Yeah. It's very good for sleep for sure. 
Okay, um, best ways to increase magnesium. Not a hundred percent sure what that means, but maybe. I mean, obviously the best way to increase magnesium, especially if we're deficient is through supplementation. We have to remember our body doesn't make magnesium, right? So it has to come in from outside sources. Um, so things like taking Epsom salt baths, using magnesium oils, using magnesium supplements, even eating magnesium rich foods. I know that our soils are depleted and we don't have the same amount of nutrients in our foods, but you know, if we did still incorporate those foods, we are getting a small benefit. But then of course we have to look at what's depleting magnesium, right? Because we deplete mm -hmm. magnesium so easily. So stress depletes it, eating sugar depletes it, insulin resistance depletes it, you know, working out depletes it. So we really have to um, look at, you know, how much are we depleting and how much are we actually needing to get back in? And if it's a lot, usually foods is not going to do that um, mm -hmm. alone, unfortunately. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. Mm. Okay, um, difference between chelated and buffered magnesium. I'm not sure if I said that right, but chelated. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So where where we find chelated and buffered is in the bisglycinate or glycinate form of magnesium. And so what they do when a magnesium is chelated, that means that the magnesium ions are bound to glycine molecules through a manufacturing process. And that is what makes it more absorbable. And it also doesn't have to go through stomach acid. So if you have somebody who has digestive issues or who doesn't absorb their stuff very well, um, you know, a chelated bisglycinate is usually a good form. The downside to chelation or chelated um, magnesium is that you end up with less elemental magnesium. So less um, available magnesium. So what you are getting in the capsule is less of that magnesium, but you're going to have fewer digestive upsets because of course mm. it doesn't need to go through the stomach. Um, so there is goods and bads with that. When we look at buffered forms, buffered is combining um, the magnesium, the chelates with a magnesium oxide in a, homo, a homogenized form. So that means it's the oxide molecule is smaller than the glycine molecule. So you're gonna get more magnesium in the pill. Mm. So even though I don't like oxide, but this process actually, it uses a little bit of that magnesium oxide in that kind of manufacturing to allow for more magnesium in the actual capsule. Mm. So, that also comes with drawbacks though, because it can affect absorption and it can also cause minor upsets because oxi oxide often acts like a laxative. Ooh. So you really have to figure out is one better than the other? They have their uses for different types of things. So um, you really have to figure out what is it that you want? Is this person 
having problems with absorbing their minerals, then I would definitely go with chelated. Do we need to get large amounts of magnesium into the system for whatever reason? And maybe do they have some constipation that's going along with mm -hmm. this? Then we would maybe go with the buffered because it kind of gives us the laxative effect. It gives us more magnesium coming into the system. And, you know, that will be beneficial for that individual. So I don't think there's a best, but they're definitely um, used in different patient situations for sure. Does it say that on the bottle? I don't remember ever seeing either one. Yes. So um, with bisglycinate or glycinate, you'll often see chelated or buffered. Um, and so, um, although you will just see magnesium bisglycinate as well, um, because that's just the molecule, just the magnesium with the glycine. So it's kind mm. of like just the chelated form. Um, mm. But then the buffered is where it combines it with the oxide. And because oxide doesn't take up as much space, we can get more magnesium in the capsule. Very interesting. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Do you need more than one form of magnesium? You can, um, you definitely, uh, depending upon what's going on with you, you could, you, you could need maybe two or three forms. I don't often see more than using more than two or three forms. Um, so if let's say you had a lot of stress and you had a lot of nervous system activity, you were constipated and you had joint pain. So here we would look at, you know, probably doing something that has a bisglycinate, a, a citrate and a malate. Um, citrate mm -hmm. being for constipation, bisglycinate being for the whole stress nervous system function, and then malate specifically being for joint and muscle pain. Um, mm -hmm. So yes, you can definitely use different forms. You can mix and match those forms. Um, you can buy them sometimes in a complex form. That's, you know, I mean, it's not, always ideal, but it is available. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Is there certain medicines that affect the absorption of magnesium? Are there certain meds combined with magnesium that can cause issues, contraindications? Yeah. So there is a bunch of medications that can literally rob your magnesium stores, mm -hmm. unfortunately. So those are usually your birth control pills, your statins, your diuretics, so bl high blood pressure pills, um, mm -hmm. proton pump inhibitors for acid reflux, uh, tetracycline and other antibiotics, corticosteroids. These medications will, will literally just suck the magnesium out of your system. Um, but we also have to look at magnesium because it can enhance certain medications. So if you're taking blood pressure medication and you look at what magnesium does is it lowers everything, it's going to possibly increase the effect of the high blood pressure medication. So we have to be careful because we don't want blood pressure to dip too low because then that's not good either. You're going to feel lightheaded and dizzy and all those sorts of things. Um, it can also absorb, um, affect the absorption of other medications such as thyroid medications. So most times it's recommended that you take that magnesium supplement at least four hours away from any type of prescription medication. Mm. Yeah. So unfortunately, um, the way magnesium and these medications work, they use the same pathway um, when they get metabolized. And unfortunately, medication will always outwin like 
when it comes to magnesium. So it will always trump the magnesium, but then magnesium can have these little um, additional benefits that can cause whatever issues going on to be enhanced or decreased. So like in blood pressure, you would have decreased blood pressure mm-hmm. on top of the blood pressure medication you're using. And then in thyroid medication, it can actually make the thyroid medication not work as effectively Ooh. if it's too close together. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and what about like the acid reflux medicines like Nexium? Yeah. So those are proton pump inhibitors and they will definitely deplete magnesium because they deplete other things like B12, magnesium, mm. like a lot of our vitamins and minerals are depleted by these drugs because again, they're using the same pathway and the drug is stronger than the supplement, the vitamin or the mineral. And so most often the drug will win that, that competition. And so we often see deficiencies in those individuals taking those medications. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking when I was taking blood pressure medication, acid reflux medication. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a little scary. It is. Okay. Can magnesium help after a hysterectomy where sleep is affected as well as weight gain and feeling sluggish? Yeah. For sure. I mean, magnesium is going to help in most of those things. Magnesium is great for sleep, as we already talked about. It enhances our GABA receptors, calms everything down. Um, It kind of stops the uh, excitatory neurotransmitter glutamate. Um, So everything is kind of like relaxed and we obviously have improved sleep. But then we also have to look at magnesium is great for energy production. So if we have a lot of fatigue and low energy, Magnesium is involved in that with ATP. It's one of its biggest jobs. And that's, you know, if we're really feeling a lot of, you know, sluggishness or low energy, then we definitely want to be looking at magnesium as well um, in the protocol. And then weight gain, right? Like weight gain has a lot of underlying issues, mostly insulin resistance and inflammation. And magnesium is got its hand in both of those things, both reducing anti, like as an anti-inflammatory, reducing inflammation, and then also making our insulin receptors that much, that much more sensitive. Um, So reducing insulin resistance. Yeah. And if you were to pick just one form of magnesium for this particular issue, what would you start someone with? Probably bisglycinate. Because it is, again, it's a nice general all around form and it can target all of those areas. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if you know this one or not. I'm not familiar with it. Is Cal, K A L brand of magnesium a good one? I've never heard of it. I don't know. Cal brand? No, I don't know. I know that the, the, there's so many brands out there Mm -hmm. and it depends where we live as to what Mm -hmm. brands are available. I mean, there are some that are more, you know, dispersed amongst Canada and U S but I don't unfortunately know that brand. Yeah. I've never heard of it either. Okay. Is mag zero seven safe to use for constipation until it clears up? First of all, what is that? I've never heard of that either. So So mag O seven is basically, it's like magnesium oxide and potassium. Um, So it's a supplement that has primarily magnesium oxide. So magnesium oxide is a laxative 
we don't absorb this form of magnesium in our bodies, less than 5%. Um, it works as a laxative. So you often will have loose stool, diarrhea, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I don't like using that product. Um, mm -hmm. That's just my personal opinion. I much prefer using a citrate um, because at least mm -hmm. with that, I'm getting some of the other magnesium benefits because citrate is absorbable. So citrate can help with constipation. It brings water into the colon, makes the uh, bowel bulk up or the stool bulk up and then um, allows for it elimination and keeps the stool nice and soft. So, you know, you don't have to do any straining, but with a laxative like oxide, sometimes this is too much for people. And so then they end up getting cramping and diarrhea and mm. nausea and all kinds of stuff. And I just would not want to do this for long-term. And we really need to address the underlying cause of what's causing the constipation, mm. right? Like, or else we're just using it as a bandage and that's not really going to clear up anything. So um, if you don't clear up the constipation, you're gonna be on this supplement all the time and that's not good. We lose a lot of electrolytes when we have diarrhea or even very loose stool um, and that is acting like a laxative and that's what's mm. happening. So, yeah. Very good point. I like that you brought that up. Yeah. Okay. Why would I need to keep upping the amount of magnesium I take to keep away muscle cramps? So I kind of talked a little bit more with her and apparently she got results and then she stopped getting results and, and started getting those cramps again. So she had to up the amount of magnesium and then, you know, she's having to stair step it up. So she's wondering what could be going on. Right. So it depends to, again, what form she's using and whether or not she's using a complex. Um, a complex with six different forms. Okay. So there could be two things that are going on here. So one, um, when we're using six different forms of magnesium, most of those are probably not even absorbable by our body or absorb very little or are used in other methods. So they like to use oxide, they like to use chloride, they like to use, um, you know, sulfate and stuff like that. Those aren't always specific for certain things. So if we're looking at muscle cramps, I would probably want to look at malate as my source of magnesium or even a bisglycinate could help if it was in its own form. But as I always kind of run into with these complexes is these complexes will say, okay, this contains magnesium X, Y, Z, Z. And then it's going to say, and the dosage is 400 milligrams. And so the problem is, is that we don't know how much of that 400 milligrams is citrate or glycinate or oxide or chloride. And a lot of these complexes, they'll use the cheaper form of magnesium as the predominant amount mm. of that 400 milligrams. So let's say if that 400 milligrams, 300 is oxide, you're going to see benefit because you still got a hundred milligrams coming in from the other sources, but you're going to start running out of those benefits because it's just not enough for the system. Mm. So a hundred would be way under the RDA. If you are losing magnesium in other forms, like, you know, through sugar intake, through stress, through sweating, through, you know, medications, then you're not going to be topping out and you're going to end up having cramps again. So there's that aspect of it. And then also 
just even if you were taking bisglycinate, if you're not taking the right dosage and you may notice a difference right away because your body is finally getting something and it's like, whoa, and it grabs it and it does what it needs to do. But then as it gets used to that amount, it's like, it's not enough Mm. anymore. And so now it's asking for more. And if you are going through a really stressful time or you're eating a lot of sugar at this time, you're just adding to that that depletion that's happening and your body's going to keep asking. But if it's a complex, the, the, the main concern is what's in the complex and how much of each thing. And some companies I've called and I'm like, okay, how much is, and they won't even disclose it. So that tells you right there that you probably don't want to go there. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Really good to know. Yeah. So my advice is always let's stick to the singular ones because we know what they do. We know what we need to do with them and we know where they target. Are you familiar with a uh, product called Magteen? Yeah. That is, what do you think of that? Yeah. So that's L3-inate and that is the brain magnesium. Um, So it's really good for cognitive issues, brain, mood issues. I use it for anxiety, depression. It's the only magnesium that crosses the blood brain barrier. So fabulous for like cognitive abilities, cognitive dementia, those kinds of things. Fabulous product. Um, I really, I like using L3 innate. It's just not that brand, but that's what that brand has in it. Um, but L3 innate is a, is a really nice form of magnesium. But again, we're using one source of magnesium. Um, and I always prefer that over complexes if we can do that. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm still learning more. Wow. <laughs> okay. I know. <laughs> Can you combine magnesium with melatonin to help you sleep? You can. Um, So first of all, melatonin is the hormone that's produced by our pineal gland. um, And it's produced obviously by the pineal gland as well as our gut, right? So it's mostly made in our gut and it has a really strong role in our sleep cycles. So although both of these are going to produce really great sleep, Um, They kind of use different mechanisms. So we have to really understand what it is that magnesium is responsible for and what it is that melatonin is responsible for. So magnesium is really responsible for increasing our sleep. So it activates that parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest, and then it dampens like the nervous system activity. Um, And so that we can like kind of get calmed down and our brain kind of settles down and we can get into a nice sound sleep. Now, melatonin, on the other hand, will kickstart that your body sleep stages. So the pineal gland will naturally produce melatonin at night or when it starts to get dark. And then it maintains those levels in the blood till about 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. And then it starts Mm. to go down again because it's going to be eliminated by the time morning comes. So once the levels decrease, like to rock bottom, we obviously wake up and it's usually morning, right? So, um, but what melatonin does is it kind of, it improves the, um, uh, the REM sleep. So like, Mm. that is a very important stage of our sleep. Mm. And so melatonin helps to keep us in that stage and then moves us to um, the next stage from there. So it's very good for providing a refreshing sleep. Whereas magnesium will provide you with 
a longer sleep, like a mm. good quality um, quantity of sleep. So can you use them together? Yes, you can. You could take your magnesium at night and then you could also do a sublingual melatonin if you wanted to. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Who would you say would benefit most from doing that? And, and I, I hear things about melatonin, like, okay, sure. You can take it short term, but you shouldn't continue taking melatonin. So like, how do you know when you should do that and when you shouldn't, or if you shouldn't at all? Right. So there's lots of research coming out on melatonin and it's actually a powerful antioxidant and we use it in a lot more uh, different conditions now. And you can actually, I haven't, I've come across some research, but most research I've taken, I've seen it. There's not a problem with taking melatonin okay. um, on the regular. We use melatonin now for acid reflux. We use it for cancer. Mm. We use it um, for sleep. Obviously people who have night shifts, jet lag, those mm. types are going to be really great for melatonin because it helps to regulate that circadian rhythm again, that sleep stage. And um, so, yeah, it's not that we can't use it. You always want to start at the lowest dose possible, mm. especially when we're using it for sleep. Now, when we're using it for like cancer or for uh, acid reflux, it's going to be higher doses depending mm. upon what it is that we're trying to do. But definitely for melatonin, I often like dosing it at the very bottom, like, you know, half a milligram or a milligram. Mm. Um, and then, you know, if you go too high, you'll notice you'll be groggy the next day. So mm. sometimes melatonin is just not like for some people, it doesn't work because um, I know that patients have also said to me, they get very vivid dreams. Oh, yeah very vivid. Um, and so that's often seen with the higher doses of melatonin. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Now I I've taken melatonin before and it's just whatever's on the bottle. I don't know what dosage it was. And I'm one of those ones that wake up in the morning and I am groggy. Yeah. It's like, I, I feel like I'm in a daze. Yeah. And, yeah. So that's probably not, I wouldn't probably use melatonin for you then because that isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing. So you obviously have enough of the sleep components happening that you don't need to have melatonin mm. on top of that. And so that can cause that extra grogginess the next day. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah I have this little aura ring here and uh, I've been tracking my, ah, yo, <laughs> and I've been tracking that and my sleep is pretty darn good. I mean, yeah. the only time it's not good. And of course we know this after drinking alcohol, right? Yeah. yeah. Not good. But yeah. other than that, my sleep is really good. I mean, minimum it's like an 89 score, yeah. you know, so yeah. I'm, I'm good there. So no melatonin for me. No, definitely you won't need it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't yeah. really need it. Why take something you don't really need? You know? Exactly. That's right. Yeah. Okay. What foods contain magnesium and, and, and break it down like, you know, cause I have followers that are carnivore and then some that are keto. So break down some of the animal foods as well as, you know, the vegetable. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Unfortunately for carnivores, we don't have a lot of options for magnesium. Ooh. Yes. Um, which is really why supplementation is, is going to have to happen. Um, so with carnivores, we're looking at mostly just the fishes. So salmon, mm -hmm. cod, mackerel, um, and then of course, bone broth. 
um, mm. would be a good source because you're getting the minerals from the bones and, and, and stuff like that. But that is really the only options for carnivores. Um, now, vegetarian or plant-based um, individuals, we see it with all the leafy greens, okra, broccoli, chives, you know, those kinds of things. And then for anyone, um, we see it in dark chocolate, we see it in nuts. So almonds, <laughs> cashews, Brazil nuts are huge. Um, banana, bananas, pumpkin seeds, avocado. So those are kind of like the big magnesium rich foods. Um, but again, you know, it's hard to get the yeah. amount we need. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. like with me, I'll eat salmon one sometimes twice a week depending on what I'm feeling and that's not going to be enough no, to get my daily yeah yeah I would say that Ugh. if I had to guess a vegetarian would probably get more magnesium sources um over a carnivore or a interesting like, you know, yeah yeah okay okay let me look since we're kind of talking about this let me just ask one of my own questions and you may or may not have seen studies or read about it or whatever. Um, but uh, uh, there's a lot of thought, I don't know how much proof is behind it, that when you are carnivore and you've eliminated all of the inflammatory type of foods, that your body doesn't require as much as somebody who is eating, say, the SAD diet. And um, like the RDA amounts won't necessarily apply to us, like vitamin C, for instance. I mean, my vitamin C levels when I tested were excellent and I don't eat any vegetables or fruits. So, right. right. So yes. And there's a yes to that. And then there's like a why, right? So you have to remember too, that what depletes our vitamins and our minerals you're not eating. So you're going to mm -hmm. consume and then you're going to restore or keep more of some of the stuff that someone who's eating a sad diet might not be right. So if you're eating a lot of carbohydrates, they're going to break down into sugars. If you are, you know, breaking those down into sugars, then you're going to most likely be insulin resistance. If you're eating like all kinds of carbohydrates, this is drawing massive amounts of vitamins and nutrients out of your system because of what's going on, you know, or if you're a heavy sugar diet, um, you know, and you're, you're, you're consuming loads of sugar, you're going to be drawing on those vitamins and minerals and thus, you know, you're going to lose a lot. So yes, in a sense, if you're, if you're eating healthy and you're sticking to a carnivore diet or even just a, you know, protein and maybe a lower carbohydrate diet, you're going to retain many more nutrients and vitamins. Um, Unfortunately, I mean, I still think that yes, you will retain it, but you, you're also expending it because unless you have absolutely zero stress ever, never, um, you may not. Right. So you're going to lose it there. If you work out and you sweat, we have to remember magnesium is an electrolyte. It's going to come out, right. It's mm -hmm. in all of our electrolyte mixes. Um, so there is still lots of room where we are depleting magnesium but you would obviously retain a lot more than somebody who is eating a, let's say less healthier diet or less healthier foods. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Is soaking in Epsom salt efficient enough to get the daily allowance needed? 
Likely not, but we don't know exactly because they don't have any good evidence to say how much we actually absorb. So the, we know that Epsom salt, which is made up of magnesium, sulfur, and oxygen can be absorbed through the skin. We know that, and that's been shown, but we don't really know to what degree, and it's going to be very different for different individuals. And so what I like to obviously do is recommend it in addition to um, eating magnesium rich foods and having supplementation. And then of course, there's the benefits that Epsom salts gives us, right? So the relaxation benefits, the um, detox benefits, um, because the, mag uh, the combination of magnesium and sulfate, they stimulate our detoxification pathways and then improve our normal um, natural detoxification um, processes that are happening in the body. So there's definitely benefits. Do I think you can keep everything together with magnesium and Epsom salt? Probably not. Mm. Yeah. 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 After our last talk, I ordered four big old bags of Epsom salt. Yes. <laughs> I was like, why not? It's not going to hurt. I'll add no. a little. It helps me relax. It's all Absolutely. good. Absolutely. We yeah. need that stress relief about right now. Yeah. I know I do. Yes. Okay. Why do I immediately have to go to the bathroom shortly after taking magnesium? You kind of answered that, but. Yeah, it could definitely be due to the form of magnesium you're taking. So the amount or whether you're taking it on an empty stomach or, I mean, some people are way more sensitive. So if you are taking it on an empty stomach, you could get digestive upset. You could get a bout of diarrhea. If you're taking oxide, you could have, you know, loose bowel movements and it's a laxative. It's going to work right away. Right. Um, I mean, if you look at what they use in a colonoscopy prep, that is what they use magnesium, right? Like that's what makes you clean out. So this oxide isn't the same strength, but it does the very, like it does very similar processes. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Um, what should I look for in a magnesium supplement to avoid bad ingredients? I love this question because it's so, um, because we have so many different brands of magnesium available to us, it's really important we look at the label. So first of all, again, oxide, don't use it, put it back. It's not absorbable. We can absorb any of it. Um, it causes digestive upset. It causes that loose stool. We don't need it. It's a cheap filler that they put into a lot of the different magnesium complexes. We also want to look at greenwashing or marketing items on uh, magnesium supplements, uh, especially if we're looking at um, powder forms. So magnesium glycinate and citrate are often sold in powder forms, but unfortunately they're often flavored with artificial flavors. Mm. They're got natural flavors in there that we don't know what they are. They have colors. I have seen colors and I, you know, it just defeats the purpose of the whole mineral if we're going to be ingesting all of these things. So it's so important to look at the label. The label should literally have the form of magnesium. And then under the non-medicinal um, ingredients, it should have, you know, just your ingredients to make the capsule. So oftentimes, whether it's a gelatin capsule or a vegetable capsule, um, they'll use magnesium stearate because it is a um, form that they can mix that 
magnesium into that will make it absorbable. Um, but you shouldn't be seeing colors, flavors, all this other stuff. Um, and another issue, like I said, is the complexes. We don't know what you're getting of each complex. This is a problem, especially if you want something that needs to be dealt with in general. So if you're having joint pain, or you're having, you know, hormone balance, you don't want to be using a complex where we don't know where the majority of the magnesium is. And then finally, my last beef is probably about um, the Epsom salts. So um, a lot of Epsom salts now come with scents. So they'll be mm -hmm. lavender or eucalyptus right. or whatever, but you really want to look at those ingredients because they're not actually oils. They're actually fragrances and fragrances can mean thousands of different chemicals. We, they don't have to disclose how many chemicals are in a fragrance. Um, and, you know, when they did look at fragrances, some of these are in the thousands of different chemicals that you're getting and think Whoa. of Epsom salts, skin, your skin is your largest organ, you're going to be absorbing that. Yes, we don't know how much, but we know it does absorb. So that's my other thing. You know what? You want to use Epsom salts, use them plain. That's where Mine's plain. Yeah. Mine's plain. <laughs> that's where I they made sure. And that's how they, they function. We don't need, if you want to add in lavender, get some good lavender essential oil, put a couple of drops into your bath water. Does the same thing. Yeah. Good point. I yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How does sugar deplete magnesium? So yes, sugar is a major thief when it comes to magnesium. Um, so it's really about how the body processes sugar. So when we look at um, everything in the body does requires energy and requires certain nutrients and minerals and, and substances and enzymes in order to process. So for every molecule of sugar, it's going to take the body approximately 54 molecules of magnesium to process. That's for every molecule of sugar. Wow. So you can see how much magnesium is needed in the processing of sugar in our body. It's not small. And so if you're a sugar addict, you are blowing through your magnesium stores like crazy. Mm. <laughs> and we also then have to question, you know, why is most of the population deficient, right? Because if like that's what's happening, then we can see the impact that that does. But it does get worse because magnesium's role in blood sugar regulation also plays a fact. So if our blood sugar levels are chronically high, we're gonna require a ton of magnesium in order to safely process and store that um, sugar. So you can say goodbye to magnesium and you can say hello to a huge set of problems. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, and then the last part is we have to remember that overconsumption of sugar is going to cause excessive magnesium loss through the kidneys. Mm. So it's gonna push out the magnesium. Goodness. Yeah. Okay, so just to be clear, yes, are we talking just like table sugar sugar? Or are we talking about carbs because they break down into glucose? Is that the same um, thing I, or is there a difference? There is a bit of a difference because our body is going to look at carbohydrates that are coming in and breaking down into sugar a little differently than refined sugar. 
So refined sugar is straight sugar, right? I mean, when we break down, let's say a sweet potato, for instance, which is still a carbohydrate, but it has other vitamins and minerals and nutrients in that potato that is offsetting some of that sugar. And so it's not as great. It's not the same. Um, yes, it still breaks down into a sugar and our body still has to process that and insulin still has to come out and do its thing, but it's way different than you taking a tablespoon of sugar and putting it into, mm. let's say coffee, for instance. Right. So, yeah. Very interesting. You know, mm -hmm. and I've seen some people here lately saying how sugar is really not bad. It's when you combine sugar with something else that makes it bad. I know. And when I actually did my, um, I had a little sugar series and I, I, I got this a lot. Like they were like, Oh, sugar is not bad. And I'm like, what nutrients are in refined sugar? Show me what nutrients we have in refined sugar that is beneficial for our bodies. Like you can't, it's an anti-nutrient. Like there's nothing in refined sugar that is going to improve or increase our body's capacity to do anything. So that's the question I often leave with these individuals. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I, I, for some reason, I don't know this is like resurfacing again, because mm -hmm. I'll, I'll occasionally get these little comments that kind of come at me like it sugar's not the enemy. And I'm like, well, it kind of is for me. I don't know about you, but uh, hello. Now, true, when you combine sugar with fat, right? that's just awful. Yes. Right. And it's like an addictive, yeah. you know, formula there. Add some salt and ooh, it is like, yeah. you know, designed to addict. Yeah. But sugar, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I find, and two, the other, then you get the other side of the coin that is like, you know, absolutely don't eat any fruit because of the sugar. But again, it's a different type of sugar. And you're also getting fibers and, and nutrients that are coming in with those fruits and vegetables um, that can offset some of those sugars. Now, is that for everybody? No, but for the most part, it's not the same as me taking a teaspoon of sugar. Whether I eat an apple or I take a teaspoon of sugar, there's a very different makeup there. So. <laughs> or a uh, straight juice without right. any of the other stuff to offset. Right. Ooh, that's right. the, you might as well just eat the sugar. Ooh. Well, that's all that it is. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Let's see. What is magnesium oil? So magnesium oil, well, it's not really an oil. So what it is, is magnesium chloride that is suspended in water. And the mixture of those two happens to have like an oily texture to it. Mm. So they call it magnesium oil. Um, but it's great for a transdermal application. It's good for sore muscles. It's good for, um, you know, if you have some aches and pains. Um, and again, we don't know how much you absorb. We do know there mm. is some absorption that is happening through the skin. Yeah. Is that the same thing that you find in the magnesium sprays that I hear people talking about that they spray on their calves and stuff? Yes. So oh, magnesium okay. uh, spray is much like magnesium oil. It's made from chloride and it can help 
you know, individuals with like pains and aches and some people use it for sleep. And I actually sometimes use it for my IBS diarrhea patients. So obviously if they have diarrhea, they cannot take magnesium that easily Mm. because this induces more. So what I do is I get them to apply it transdermally through spray or oil and they're getting the magnesium benefits, which IBS patients are actually lacking magnesium, um, but it's not having to go through the GI system. So we're not having to deal with loose bowel issues. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Good to know. I have a friend who uses the, the spray all the time. And if he doesn't, he... yeah, okay. well, <laughs> actually you just answered my next question in with that one. So, <laughs> okay. Um, is there anyone who should absolutely not be taking magnesium? Is there certain uh, conditions, you know, like maybe some bizarre conditions that would really make it bad if they had magnesium? Yeah. So magnesium is fairly safe. However, anyone that has kidney issues or kidney disease or anything kidney related definitely has to be careful and should be under the direction of a healthcare professional. Um, Magnesium is excreted through the kidneys and thus people who have kidney dysfunction or kidney issues um, really have to be careful with that. That's really the only contraindication um, that I know of besides not taking it with certain medications. Um, But yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty safe. And I mean, if you are under the um, care of a healthcare practitioner, you can have magnesium, even if you do have kidney issues, but it needs to be monitored. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Um, Have you heard of the studies that appear to show that those who produce oxalates in endogenous you know what I'm trying? <laughs> yes, but a little bit, a little bit, a little that glycinate can also turn to oxalates. I've never yes. heard anything like that. Yes. So we have to remember that. Um, so many of the foods that are rich in magnesium are also high in oxalates. And so those that are affected by oxalates usually cannot eat those foods, which is another reason why you probably want to supplement with magnesium, but Mm. you do not want to probably um, supplement with glycinate um, because glycine does increase oxalates. And they, yeah, so we really want to make sure that we're getting a different form. So here I would use either a citrate or I would use maybe even a chloride or I would use a malate, something like that, um, instead of the glycinate if they have oxalates. But we do know that magnesium inhibits the absorption of dietary oxalates in the gut as well. So we know that magnesium does do something. We just can't give it with glycinate or glycine. Yeah. Hmm. I have never heard that. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. With those who suffer with cystitis, can magnesium citrate aggravate the liver? From all of my research, um, I have not heard of magnesium actually affecting the liver or liver enzymes for that matter. Um, I know that magnesium deficiency can increase the frequency and severity of cystitis. 
and bladder spasms. And I often actually use magnesium for my patients that have interstitial cystitis. Mm -hmm. And we get really good success from that because um, again, it reduces those bladder spasms, but um, I've not heard of it aggravating the liver, especially yeah. not citrate. Yeah. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, that was actually my last question. I wasn't oh, sure we were going to get through. Yay. Yes. Do you have any final words to say any bit of advice for somebody who might be thinking of trying magnesium, but they're not really sure if it's something that they should be doing? Because like me, I don't like taking anything that I don't have to take, you know? Yeah. Yeah, um, definitely. I think that um, magnesium should always be on your radar um, only because of how much it does in our bodies. So it has so many functions. It has so many um, areas where it has its hand in some form or another. I mean, something as simple as vitamin D. If you don't have enough magnesium, you are not activating vitamin D in the liver. And that is an enzymatic reaction. That's just one. There's like seven, 800. So if you have issues that you just can't get resolved or put your hand on, go and, you know, get a functional medicine practitioner, get a naturopathic doctor, get a nutritionist, somebody who can help you kind of figure out root cause and then get you the proper dose and the proper supplement um, and form of magnesium, because a lot of the times you can start to feel better just from taking that supplement. Um, and a lot of the times it's overlooked. We do not look at magnesium the way we should be looking at it. I know allopathically they don't. Um, yes, they test it. It's an electrolyte, but they don't really put any emphasis or focus on it. And we have to remember that magnesium deficiency, most of the symptoms play like they have other health issues right so if you have joint pain well that could be arthritis it could be fibromyalgia it could be like all kinds of things right so we never focus on magnesium we right away go to well you have arthritis so now we need to do this right so a lot of the deficiency symptoms actually um, mitigate other health conditions. And so we do really need to look at that and, and make sure that we are sufficient in that mineral because, you know, magnesium isn't just nice. It's, it's beneficial. It's beneficial for our health and our well being. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. One last question. Yeah. Is there any other supplement that you feel that probably most people should think about trying out besides magnesium? Um, well, I always like to make sure that vitamin D and zinc are um, high or not high, but in good proportions. Obviously, vitamin D gives us that immune health. It gives us general overall wellness. Um, and again, most people are deficient in vitamin D. Uh, so that is definitely something that I look at with every patient. Um, and then zinc. Zinc is with the amount of autoimmunity that's coming on and we're seeing today. Zinc is like another immune issue, uh, immune enhancing, not enhancing, but supportive um, mineral. And I like to use it a lot. 
not just for autoimmunity, but for other things, like it's really great for the skin and for overall health and, you know, all kinds of things like that hormones. Um, so yeah, I would say that those two would probably be my other two top choices. Awesome. I had my D checked. My D was good, but I don't know about zinc, huh? I need to maybe look into that one, but, uh, yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on again, Dr. Barb Barb and and answering all these questions. That's awesome. And I'm sure we'll uh, be trying to get you back on soon as our our magnesium expert. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me again. It's been great. And, uh, yeah. I'll be happy to discuss magnesium anytime. Yay. Okay. Don't forget, subscribe to my channel, go follow Dr. Barb and I'll have everything below. So it's all good. And again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) Bye Barb. Bye.